History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 345th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to be covering two hotels. They are Biltmore Hotels. Fantastic. It seems like Biltmore and Haunted go together very well. We had the Biltmore Estate in Asheville in North Carolina. And then both of these are Biltmore Hotels. There's also one in L.A. that we're not going to be covering on this episode. We'll be doing it on its own episode in the future sometime. But yeah, Biltmore's and it's almost like the Omni Hotels. Hand in hand. Yeah. Before we get into telling you about those, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Jeff, Kristen, Tracy with a Y, Brittany with two T's, Lisa, and Julianne. Welcome to the crew, everybody. And now this moment, Noddity. Jeremy Bentham was a guy ahead of his time. He was a libertarian who believed in individual freedom, the decriminalization of homosexuality, rights for women, animal rights, and the abolition of capital punishment. He supported all of this in the 18th century and early 19th century. That's pretty interesting. But even more interesting is his life after he died in 1832. Bentham also believed in the being of use after one died, and so he wanted his body used for instruction. He wanted his body preserved and rolled out at parties. The planning that went into this started long before he passed. Bentham would carry glass eyes with him that he wanted inserted into the sockets of his head after he had been preserved. As was instructed, Bentham's body was dissected in front of his friends. Several others attended as autopsies were controversial at the time. The skeleton was put back together, but there was an issue with the head. An ancient method of mummification used by the indigenous people of New Zealand went horribly wrong and left the head looking mangled and absolutely terrifying. The head was also very misshapen. It wouldn't attach to the body, so a wax head was commissioned. Today, Bentham's body is on display as a skeleton dressed in a suit with a wax head at the end of the South Cloisters of Main Building of UCL inside a wooden cabinet. The real head was rarely put on display, but as recently as 2018, it was also on display at the UCL Octagon Gallery. Jeremy Bentham's wishes for his dead body and what actually became of those wishes certainly are odd. Scared yet? Boo! (laughs) And now, this month in history. In the month of July, on the 1st, in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed the first income tax bill into law. 
due to COVID-19, the filing of income taxes was postponed until this month in 2020. It seems almost fitting since this month was when the first income tax became law. The union needed help to fund their efforts during the Civil War, and it was decided by Congress that an income tax would help. Reports claim that $320 million would be needed to fight the war, and the sale of public lands and other taxes would raise $300 million, but Congress needed to find a way to get the other $20 million. The bill they passed imposed a 3% tax on incomes between $600 and $10,000 annually, and a 5% tax on higher incomes. The law was amended in 1864 to levy a tax of 5% on incomes between $600 and $5,000 annually, and a 7.5% tax on incomes in the $5,000 to $10,000 range, and a 10% tax on everything higher. This helped to fund the war, and in 1872, the law was declared unconstitutional and repealed. And to our great joy, the Bureau of Internal Revenue was established by an act of Congress at that same time. There are many hotels in the United States that carry the name Biltmore as part of their title. Three of them are well known for being one of the most haunted locations in their respective states. One of them is the Millennium Biltmore in Los Angeles, which will be an episode of its own one day. Another is the Providence Biltmore, and based on its ominous past, that is not surprising. The fancy lobby belies the legends that claim that a Satanist not only financially backed the hotel, but performed rituals within its halls. There are tales of prohibition fights and murders, and people have literally disappeared from the hotel. The stories about this haunted hotel have inspired the likes of Stephen King and Robert Block. The Biltmore Hotel in Coral Gables also has tales from the days of prohibition and has a long list of spirits said to be haunting its halls. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Biltmore Hotels in Rhode Island and Florida. So just a little bit of synchronicity, one of our moderators in the Spooktacular crew, it's her birthday today, which is the day that we're recording. So happy birthday, Sarah. Happy birthday. And so she was going to get her husband to go around to a couple of haunted locations for her birthday. She thought that would be fun. And she's like, does anybody know about any, you know, haunted things? We're going to go to Mercy Brown's grave and I'm looking at some other stuff. And I was like, okay, I haven't done a location in Rhode Island in a really long time, I believe. And I was like, maybe we should do something in Rhode Island. So I was like, what are the chances that the same week that I'm working on the Providence Biltmore, she's like, is there any haunted locations in Rhode Island that people can give me some ideas about? <laughs> right. I'm like, uh, well, this next episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Turns out, I guess this is right down the road from her, too. So she's going to check it out. Well, hopefully she sends us some pictures. Yeah. And hopefully she has some experiences. That's even better. Absolutely. So let's first look at the Biltmore in Providence. Providence, Rhode Island has a really symbolic name. Providence is defined as God or nature providing protection and even direction for one's life. You've probably heard older people use the terms divine providence. The man who founded the town in 1636 felt as though Providence had guided him to this spot as he fled religious persecution in Massachusetts. He purchased the land from the Narragansett tribe and established a community of people who believed in political and religious freedom. 
This was a great spot because it was on the water and would enable Providence to become an important seaport that would enable exploration across the ocean to bring back imports and was a key port during the Revolutionary War. Rhode Island was the first colony to declare independence from England before the war. But being this close to the water has also left the city open to damage from hurricanes and it's been hit hard a couple of times. The rivers of the city have added to the beauty and people can walk the cobblestone paths along them or ride gondolas on them. Really? Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. (laughs) Very cool. And what's really interesting is that's going to come up again with the other Biltmore we're going to talk about. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I was like, (laughs) what are the chances that these two different places are going to have gondolas connected to them? Who needs to go to Europe, right? I know. Who needs Italy? COVID-19. We'll just stay here. <laughs> stay stateside. Well, and I have to tell you, the only time I've done a gondola ride in Venice, it was anything but what you see on TV where you're just kind of going around on the canals while you're being serenaded. It wasn't as romantic as you expected. Yeah. The gondolier was on his cell phone. <laughs> oh, no. There were six of us crammed into the thing. The water oh, at that time was disgusting. Oh, man. So, well. yeah. <laughs> but yes, I've been on a gondola ride. In Italy, so I guess I could say that. In the center of the downtown area, one will find the Biltmore Hotel. There is no missing the Biltmore Hotel. The red brick building stands 18 stories, making it the ninth tallest building in the city. And it has the word Biltmore spelled out in large letters across one wing of the hotel. The hotel was designed in the federal bow art style by the architectural firm Warren and Wetmore, who also designed Grand Central Terminal in New York City. Which we got to see, so that's cool. I was just going to say, and we've been there. (laughs) This was part of the Bowman Biltmore Hotel chain that was owned by John McEntee Bowman and Lewis Wallach. You might be wondering where the Biltmore part of the chain got its name, and it actually was inspired by the Vanderbilt family's Biltmore estate. And the name Biltmore was part of over 10 historic hotels around the country. This Biltmore opened on June 6, 1922, with nearly 600 rooms. The interior is elegant with embellished ceilings and a grand center staircase leading to the second floor and a brass and gold glass elevator with a gorgeous chandelier hanging in the center of the lobby. There is a large rooftop grand ballroom with large windows giving a great view of the city. In 1947, Sheridan Hotels acquired the property and a few years later, Hurricane Carol flooded the lobby with eight feet of water. They actually have a plaque commemorating the high watermark in the lobby, Kelly. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> so I guess they were like, hey, when you hit this spot, this is where the water was. Good Eight grief. feet of water is over everybody's head. Yeah. So I guess you could have gone swimming in the lobby. I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the offer. Gotham Hotels took over in 1968 and renamed the hotel Biltmore Hotel and Motor Inn. And you got to love when they call themselves Gotham Hotels. Absolutely. Where's Batman? <laughs> <laughs> By 1975, the hotel was closed and abandoned and remained that way for four years, eventually facing demolition. But this was a historic hotel, and the citizens didn't want to see that happen. So Mayor Buddy Chianchi, and I hope I said that right, got the property designated as a landmark. A group of local businessmen purchased the hotel, renovated it, added an exterior glass elevator, and opened it in 1978 as the Biltmore Plaza Hotel. And that exterior glass elevator that they installed uh, no longer works. So I don't know if they didn't do a very good job of it or what. I don't know that I'd really be super available to go up on that. I never am for those kinds of elevators. I've been in them a couple of times and man, I hate it. Like in Vegas and stuff where you can just see everything, the strip, what have you. And it's just all glass walls. Mm -mm. Hard pass. (laughs) We went to Las Vegas one year and went up into the stratosphere. 
oh no, I'm not available for that. Yeah, I, I wasn't really either. And I was kind of edged over so I could see down a little bit. And this oh, kid Lord. came over and it's like a glass floor that's underneath yes. you. And he started jumping oh, my right God. next to me. And I was like, <laughs> you little turd. I'm like, I'm going to kill this kid. <laughs> Needless to say, I jumped back and plastered myself against the wall. Yeah, kind of like me on the top of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Yes. When the door pushed on me. Yes. The hotel would continue to pass through several hands from Dunphy Hotels to Omni Hotels to Hilton and even the Providence Journal, the local newspaper, owned it for a little while. That's interesting. Yeah. The modern version of the Biltmore no longer carries that moniker and has updated the inside to a chic and colorful interior featuring plaid and tweed, now known as the Graduate Providence, a boutique hotel with around 300 rooms. So it went from 600 to 300. So obviously they took Larger out walls, suites, made yeah. bigger rooms. Nice. The graduate group of hotels bought the property in 2019. All of the donuts and the artwork that they have all around the hotel pay homage to the fact that Providence has the most donut shops per capita of anywhere in the United States. <laughs> that is hilarious. So that's so- a, a little tidbit of information that you all need for your trivia contest. So they have a bunch of donuts and the artwork all around. I guess so. Uh, they're like all the artwork in the rooms has donuts and stuff in them. That is so random, but I understand. Hey, <laughs> it's just very odd. <laughs> and the other thing is, because this is like the graduate group of hotels, they have people who graduated from the local colleges in the photographs. Huh. Everything pays homage to being as if you're you know, going to university. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So that's the extent of the official history. The odd and paranormal history about the hotel and the city of Providence is quite different. There are claims that this was a city governed by Satanists, which is quite ironic considering its name. Whether that is true or not, reputedly the person who financed the building of the hotel was Johann Lies Weisskopf, a Satanist. He had two things he specifically wanted added to the hotel. Chicken coops on the roof for holding sacrificial birds and dugout hot springs in the basement for purification rituals. There was also a dining room known as the Bacanti Dining Room with nude waitresses. This became a real party place in a time of prohibition. The likes of F. Scott Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, and Douglas Fairbanks would all come to hang at the Biltmore. Eventually, mobsters moved in and ran a speakeasy from the basement. Wine was served in crystal goblets for patrons who were not government officials for a quarter. Government officials drank free for obvious reasons. Hmm, I wonder why. Now, many might think that the murders and rapes that are said to have taken place at this hotel would have happened when the Satanists were conducting rituals in the hallways and the basement. I mean, it's just, you know, most people equate Satanism to bad things, whether that's Make true that or assumption. not. It's up to your own personal opinion, I would say. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. The politicians and police officers who were allowed to drink for free seem to be the ones conducting the crimes. Between the years 1920 and 1933, six police officers were accused of being involved in the murders of eight people that happened at the Biltmore. There was a mayor who was accused of murder, a cardinal molested a young girl and drowned her in a tub, and a governor was accused of raping six women and killing one of them. There are also stories that people disappear from this hotel. The most recent disappearances were said to have happened in 2008 and were Irving F. Bishop and his daughter Emily Bishop, who was four years old. They were tours from New Jersey and had gone walking in the hotel because Emily couldn't fall asleep. They were reported missing around 4 a.m. by the girl's mother. Kelly, I looked everywhere for newspaper articles about these missing people because clearly wouldn't that be in a newspaper? Sure, you would expect. I mean, 
But, you know, I don't know that Alyssa Lamb, who went missing at the Cecil Hotel, if that was in any of the newspapers or anything like that. Ah. I'm wondering if that made the news and we all heard about it because later on her body was found. Right. So I don't know how much that was reported. So I don't know if this was reported anywhere, but I couldn't find anything about it. And the blog that I got this from, it said that this these were like the fifth and sixth people to disappear from there that year. Wow. Sweep things under the rug much? Yeah. So I don't know if that's the case or if this is just rumors. Hearsay. Could be. Same thing with what we have going on with this being financed by a Satanist. I couldn't find anything on that guy. Couldn't find anything that said that he actually financed the building. Couldn't find anything in the history that said it had these chicken coops. No pictures. Good grief. No pictures of the pools (laughs) in the basement. So I don't know if these are just a bunch of stories that have been tacked on to this hotel. Urban legend, perhaps? Yes, it makes for a fun tale, but I don't know how reliable they are. But I do imagine, because this would have been the case during Prohibition, that there were speakeasies in this place being run. I don't know any hotel during Prohibition that was a fancy smancy place that wasn't doing that. Oh, certainly. The Providence Biltmore was named the most haunted hotel in America by the American Hotel and Lodging Association. On top of that, this place served as an inspiration for the Overlook Hotel from The Shining and the Bates Motel from Psycho. Neither of those places seemed to resemble the hotel, so one starts to think that it must be the stories of the place that served as inspiration. Especially since we know that the Stanley Hotel was definitely inspiration for the Overlook Hotel. Sure. So I was kind of shocked when I was reading through stuff and seeing that this was so much of a inspiration, too, because I was like, oh. I they just don't look anything the alike. No. <laughs> The stock market crashed in 1929, and many people lost everything they had and felt as though suicide was the answer. One such man was staying at the Biltmore and threw himself from the 14th floor. To this day, guests claim to see the figure of a man falling from the upper stories of the building. The murder victims of the politicians are said to haunt the hallways of the hotel. The sounds of raucous partying with glasses clinking are heard after hours when the bar is closed, and disembodied voices laughing and talking are heard as well. I found a bunch of experiences that were reported on the Ghosts of Providence blog, and that's where I got a bunch of this history that I couldn't find any backing for. It was interesting as I went down into the comments because there was a lot of people who had comments about staying at the Providence Biltmore. So good personal experiences. Yeah. This one was from 2010. I was there for two weeks on a job with a crew of 50. I could not sleep and woke up every night at 3 a.m. Then I had what I thought was a dream, a woman pressing on top of me. I freaked out, dialed my coworker sleeping on the upper levels, and slept in her room the rest of the weeks. This place is haunted. Wow. Prep Girl wrote, Oh my goodness, I've been here since Monday and I had a nightmare that something was pressing down on me. I was suffocating in my dream and woke up completely gasping for air. It was room 906. I switched rooms right after. So I'm wondering, is this the same room as this other person who reported being pressed down on, or is this something they're experiencing in many rooms? Yeah, don't know. From 2012. Wow, I only got to this page because of my experience at this hotel. I woke up initially at 1.15 a.m. because something touched my eyelid. That's weird. (laughs) That is weird. I closed my eyes and put my head back on the pillow again. Instantly, something touched my eyes again. I freaked out and turned the light on. Finally fell asleep. I don't know how. (laughs) Right. Then I woke up at 3-something in the morning with what felt like a man pressing down on me. I could not move, breathe, or open my eyes. I finally let out a scary screeching sound that woke up my husband, who was on the other end of the king-size bed. I made a move right next to me because that was the only way I was comfortable. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. So here again, another pressing down on this person. (laughs) And apparently the husband just slept right through having the light on all night. 
I guess. <laughs> I don't think I could sleep through that. <laughs> Another person claimed in 2011, I stayed in room 833 last Wednesday night. I had never heard of the Biltmore being haunted. I did have an unusual experience. Before I went to bed, I shut the security lock, the one that is a long piece of metal above the regular locks. In the morning, when I was leaving to get my coffee, I noticed that the lock was open. Thinking I may have just forgotten, I didn't think much of it. When I got back to the room, I closed the door and made sure I shut the security lock before taking my shower. When I got out of the shower, I checked the door, and sure enough, it was open. I will not be going back. That would be horrible to... She is out. (laughs) (laughs) And those security locks, I mean, they lock in there pretty good, so it'd be really hard for that to just kind of fall open on its own. And then in 2013, the same thing was reported. My wife and I stayed here one night in May 2013. I wondered if anything was going to happen or if we would see anything, but quickly forgot about it once I got tired and we went to bed. The next morning, my wife walked to the bathroom to take her shower when she noticed the top door latch was open. She closed it and took her shower. When she got out, I heard her ask me if I went out. I hadn't and asked her why she asked. She explained what she had seen and done and showed me the once again open latch lock. We both remembered me closing the latch lock and deadbolting the bottom lock as I had to push the door a bit with my foot to line the deadbolt up to lock it. So, I mean, you're not going to forget doing that. Right. Yeah. You have to sometimes doors will warp a little Mm -hmm. bit. So you got to shove it into place to get that deadbolt going. Right as we closed the latch lock again, I looked down and saw that the deadbolt lock was unlocked. Very strange and spooky. Something doesn't want them locking up their rooms. Another from 2011. I swear to all of you that I stayed there in June of 2001 for six nights and there was a ghost in my room. I saw her image twice and I freaked out. When I checked out, the front desk clerk informed me that I was not the first person to see a ghost at the hotel. It was really scary. I never believe people when they tell me they see ghosts, but after that experience, I am now a believer. And how she made it six nights, I don't know. Right? I'm assuming that she saw her twice later in the week. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd probably be game for that. <laughs> but <laughs> and an average person that isn't searching for investigating things like that, I, I would imagine they'd exit pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. Ashley wrote in 2016, my husband and I stayed in room 326 for the last three nights. Our friends got married at the Biltmore this weekend. My husband's from Louisiana and talks about seeing ghosts when he was a child. I've never seen any and have been skeptical. The first night we got in at 1 a.m. because our flight was super delayed. While we were unpacking quickly before bed, my husband did a double take looking at the doorway of our room. Said he saw something walk by into our bathroom. I ignored him because I like to stay naive about this questionable ghost world. The first two nights we took Ambien and so I'm uncertain if anything happened or not. (laughs) Slept right through that ghost experience. Last night, we got in bed at 2 a.m. I woke at 4.30 a.m. to water running and our TV really loud. I thought someone above or around us was showering and I could hear the water in the pipes. I turned off the TV and stayed in bed, listening to the water run, waiting for them to finish showering so I could go back to sleep. I finally got up to pee and realized our bathroom sink was the water running. I turned it off, confused, and jumped back in bed. The TV had turned back on while I was in the bathroom. I woke my husband and asked if he'd gotten up or had turned on the TV. He said no. I woke an hour later to the same thing, water running, TV loud. I turned off the water and left the TV on so I could focus on whatever show that was on HGTV to settle my nerves. (laughs) I would totally do the same. (laughs) I purposely waited until after we checked out to now look up whether there are any reports of the Biltmore Providence being haunted. 
I'm not sure what the hell happened in our room, but suggest ghost enthusiasts to check out room 326 if that's what you're looking for. It was a beautiful hotel, but I'm good with not experiencing any further questionable activity there. We need to take notes. I guess. (laughs) Now we have a reason to go to Rhode Island. Now on to the Biltmore Hotel here in Florida. Coral Gables was founded by a poet. This is a town outside of Miami and was developed by George Merrick, who had inherited citrus groves from his father in the 1920s. He wrote of his vision for Coral Gables. I dream of the home of the fairies and fays on the isles of the calm southern sky, of the fanciful turrets and towers ablaze in the floods of the rays from on high. So this already sounds like a fabulous place if he's dreaming about a place for fairies and fays. (laughs) Absolutely. The architectural design of much of the city is Mediterranean revival, and this is certainly reflected in the beautiful Biltmore Hotel. George Merrick had this upscale hotel built to attract people to come to his new city. He teamed up with John Bowman, who had built the Providence Biltmore, and they poured $10 million into the project. The architects were Schultz and Weaver. The hotel opened in 1926 with two 18-hole golf courses, a polo grounds, canals with gondolas, again with the gondolas. Yeah, that's why I told you to come up again. <laughs> a large swimming pool, several large ballrooms, and a tower patterned after the Geraldo in Seville, Spain. The interior featured hand-painted frescoes on the barrel-vaulted ceilings, marble columns, travertine tile floors, and carved mahogany furnishings. This was the tallest building in Florida until 1928. The Biltmore opened with a widely attended gala where champagne was flowing heavily and guests could enjoy the Charleston and foxtrotting on the ballroom floors and walking through the lush gardens. And the list of famous people to stay at the hotel is vast, with names like Judy Garland, Bing Crosby, Ginger Rogers, Al Capone, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who even made this the Southern White House for a time, and and the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. This would be Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson. He's the one who abdicated the crown. The hotel came to be known as a place for aquatic competitions, particularly synchronized swimming. Johnny Weissmuller even broke a world record in swimming at the pool before he went on to play Tarzan in several 1930s movies. There was even alligator wrestling here, Kelly. What? (laughs) Crikey. (laughs) It's a beauty. (laughs) It's a beautiful specimen. And look at the scat. It's so healthy. Oh, my God. (laughs) He used to go off about scat. So, sorry. Love Crocodile Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) These activities kept the hotel afloat during the Great Depression. When World War II broke out, the hotel became the Army Air Force Regional Hospital. And this brought big changes with the floor being covered with linoleum. Windows were blacked out, generally with concrete. Can you imagine concrete in the windows? No. Operating rooms were added and a morgue was set up on a lower level. The medical theme would continue after the war as the University of Miami School of Medicine took over the building. And then eventually this was a veterans hospital in the 1960s that closed in 1968. This once gorgeous upscale hotel that had been the place to stay in the Roaring Twenties was then abandoned, and it remained that way for five years. The city of Coral Gables took possession of the building through the Historic Monuments Act and Legacy of Parks program to save it from being demolished. But they did nothing with it, and it sat for another 10 years. I can't believe that this hotel was sitting there for 15 years with nobody doing anything with it. Right? It is gorgeous. It is so cool. In 1983, Coral Gables finally started restoring the hotel and poured $55 million into the rehabilitation. It reopened as an upscale hotel once again, but that didn't last for long as the end of the 1980s took a big hit to the economy. The hotel shuttered again. 
1992, Seaways Hotel Corporation bought the Biltmore and poured another $40 million into restoration, updating everything for a modern world and resurfacing the swimming pool with polished marble. Interior designer Lynn Wilson worked her magic inside. Eventually, a culinary academy would open here, and the hotels maintained its elegance up until our modern time. The hotel is nearly 100 years old, and in that time, it has seen much death, particularly when this was a hospital not only during the war, but after. We had medical experiments and autopsies done here while this was a medical school. And then veterans had to make do with the low level of care they received here, and one can imagine how depressed they probably were. And the hotel itself was left abandoned for many years. This makes for a fine mixture that could lead to hauntings, and there are many ghost stories connected to the building. Psychics claim that there could be over a hundred spirits within the halls of the hotel. During the abandoned years, people who lived nearby or golfed at the nearby golf courses would claim to hear sounds coming from the empty building. Sometimes it sounded as though there were a party being hosted. The lights would flicker or just turn on even though no one was supposed to be in the building. There were so many complaints to the police one year that they decided to stake out the building and make a raid. They expected to find drug traffickers or at the very least squatters. When they busted into the building, they were shocked that they found no one, not even an urban explorer. That was in 1979. Maintenance workers have claimed to have issues with the lights turning themselves off and on, and they can't figure out what's causing the problem. One such worker told Dave Lampham in his book Ghost Hunting Florida that he had once heard a great crash in the evening that sounded like a vase being slammed into a wall or the floor, and when he went to investigate, he found no broken vase. He found absolutely nothing that would have caused the crash. He was also told the story of a young couple who boarded the elevator, and before they could push any of the buttons, the door closed and the elevator rose to the 13th floor, even though the number was not pushed. This was a special suite, and the door would only open with a special key, but the elevator door opened. It sat open for several minutes, so the young lady playfully stepped off. The minute she exited, the door closed and the elevator went all the way down to the lobby, even though her husband frantically started pushing buttons to get the elevator to return to the 13th floor. He couldn't get the 13th button to light up because a special key was needed. He ran to look for a bellhop in the lobby, and at first the bellhop wouldn't believe him because no one was staying in the suite, so the elevator could not possibly have stopped at that floor, much less opened. The two men went up to the 13th floor and found the terrified wife. She told them that she had been enveloped in a cold cloud of air that carried the scent of a cigar and that she heard laughing and talking. She felt as though someone had been standing near her. Could this woman have experienced one of the more famous spirits at the Biltmore, Fatty Walsh? Fatty Walsh was one of the most notorious and powerful gangsters in Miami during Prohibition. That 13th floor suite had once been home to his illegal casino and speakeasy. That is most likely what the young woman heard as she was waiting for her husband to rescue her. One evening, a disgruntled gambler shot Fatty, or he might have been murdered by a hitman. Either way, Fatty died in that casino on the 13th floor, and he now haunts the place. Many people have smelled the scent of cigar smoke in the hotel, and there's sometimes a woman or two who complains about being touched inappropriately by somebody she cannot see. There are tales of the gangster riding on foggy mirrors, and he likes to play with the lights. There's also a rumor that President Clinton was staying in the 13th floor suite in the 1990s, and he wanted to watch a big game on the television, only they couldn't get any reception. The other rooms in the hotel had no issues. They brought another television into the room and still could get nothing but snow on the TV. And I also heard that it would, like, turn itself off every time they turned it on. Hmm. The entourage ended up having to leave so the president could see the game. Maybe Fatty wasn't big on having a politician in his suite. Perhaps. 
There is a lady in white at this location. She is seen in white because people think she was wearing white at the time of her death. She lost her life when she fell from a fifth or sixth floor balcony. She was staying at the hotel with her family, and when she had looked away for a moment, her young son had climbed up onto the railing of the balcony. She quickly ran to the balcony and grabbed him, but in doing so, she could not stop her momentum, and she spun around and fell backwards over the rail and down to her death. Today, guests and employees claim to see a residual haunting of the woman, sprinting towards the balcony and falling over it. But this ghost may not just be residual, because she has been seen in guests' rooms as well, and sometimes even sits on the edge of beds. The front desk occasionally gets calls in the middle of the night, with guests complaining about a strange woman in the hallway or in their room. The woman seems to be very sad, and when she's seen running towards the balcony, the look on her face is abject fear. Richard Weiner wrote in The Sun Sentinel in 1986 about the experiences of a couple of security guards. As George Warren and his partner stared at the TV screens, what they saw was unmistakable. The tracks from a wheelchair streaked across the monitor. It was impossible. No one, let alone someone in a wheelchair, could enter that room without setting off the alarm. The men raced down to the room. There, imprinted in the rug, were the unmistakable tracks made by a wheelchair. But no sign of a wheelchair was found. The tracks in the rug remained for weeks, Warren says, before vanishing like dust in the wind. And there's more, like the night last spring, when frightening yells and screams drifted down from the upper reaches of the long-empty Biltmore. Another security guard making his rounds stopped dead in his tracks on the 12th floor as screams continued to filter down from the 13th floor. Charging up the stairs, the guard penetrated the blackness with a flashlight. As he reached the 13th floor, dead silence. The scream ceased as suddenly as someone being smothered. Then the guard's flashlight went dark. Standing alone in the darkness, he banged the light against the palm of his hand and called out in a shaky voice, Who's there? Who's there? Receiving no response, the trembling man groped his way down the steps. Suddenly his flashlight came back on and the scream started again. Turning around to head back up to the 13th floor, again his flashlight went dark. That's it, he decided. Let the ghosts howl all they want. I'm not going back up there. (laughs) I would probably do the same. I mean, I have a hard enough time with stairs as it is. And if it's dark and my flashlight goes out, mm, yeah, no. Yeah, Kelly's going (laughs) to trip and kill herself. I'd go head over rear, (laughs) flipping down the stairs. So let the ghosts scream. I don't care. Both of the Biltmore hotels we covered on this episode were grand hotels at one time that fell into disrepair and abandonment. Today, they are once again hosting guests, and it would seem ghosts as well. Are these hotels haunted? That That is is for you to decide. decide. Well, Kelly, I saw that I think it's about two sixteen or something for the cheapest room at the Biltmore. So maybe we'll have to splurge. Yeah, splurge sometime (laughs) when we head down that way. I know we want to make a trip on down to Fort Lauderdale. Definitely. To do the ghost tours and things down there. And we've got a little listener who really wants to meet us up there. So Yes. Maybe we'll have to do that while we're staying locally for some of our stuff. I look forward to it. We encourage you to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We got a comment over at Patreon. This is from Cindy, and it was on the Haunted Presidents bonus cast that I put up. We were on Haunted Presidents number four. Dang! All of them seem to have something (laughs) going on spiritually that way. She wrote, a year ago, my husband and I visited Disney World in Florida. One of the last things we went to see was the Hall of Presidents. We just managed to get into the waiting room before they closed the door. Most of the people waiting to get into the main showroom were standing toward the front of the room, and a man dressed up in old-fashioned clothing was doing a trivia game with everyone about presidents. Since my husband and I had just gotten into the room, we took our time looking at the various displays. I finally joined the rest of the people who were playing the game and stood at the back behind everyone else as my husband continued to look at the displays. 
Eventually, my husband came up behind me and stood next to me. As I turned around to acknowledge him, I saw him across the room still looking at displays, and there was no one else behind me. I was totally creeped out and wondered if the display was haunted. I wonder if anyone else had such an experience there. I don't know that I've ever heard of the Hall of Presidents being haunted. We haven't done a haunted Disney World yet. We probably should get on that. I definitely think we should. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, very peculiar. Now, for people who don't know, the Hall of Presidents has actual artifacts that are from the presidents in these cases. Right. This is true. So it is possible that maybe something is attached to something there. And somebody was getting a little flirty with the wife there. Uh, thank goodness he didn't like reach out and, you know, give her a little squeeze or anything oh, like goodness. that. And she turns to be like, honey, right. not here. Oh, my word. Being like, oh, my God, there's nothing there. Well, we definitely need to look into that. Yes, we do. Don't forget, please send us your haunting experiences so that we can share them for the Halloween episode as well. We'd love to hear those. Please do. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. And to our great joy, the Bureau of Internet Revenue, and to our great joy, the Bureau, the Bureau, the Bureau, the Bureau of Internal Revenue. <laughs> yeah, I was just, you're the BB, the BB. How you feeling, it. babe? Tired. <laughs> a little bit of sunstroke, heat just stroke, a, just, just, just a, a touch. One of them is the Millennium, now I can't say it. Another is the Providence Biltmore, and based on its omnit. And based on its and based on its omnibus, I can't say that. Omnibus, omnibus. It has an omnibus past. I can't say <laughs> ominous, 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 ominous. I don't know what the heck. Oh my gosh! It has the word Biltmore spirit spared. Who spared the name Biltmore <laughs> on that thing? Who spared it? Oh my word! He had two things he specifically wanted added to the hotel: chicken. T- Okay. Chicken coops on the roof for holding sacrificial birds. Come on, Kelly. Why were you having an issue with the chicken coops? I mean, isn't like, that what every hotel needs on its roof? I was reading ahead. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. Okay. <laughs> chicken coops. Now I can't even read it. <laughs> Golly. Poor chickens. Even though I eat them. <laughs> as long as somebody else sacrifices them, you're fine. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not going to go out and wring one's neck or sacrifice them or anything. But I do like them in my belly. Anyway, back to the show. (laughs) Back to the shoe. There was also a dining room known as the... 
Gotta love it when you're looking for a pronunciation and some video comes on with Jedi talk. I know. You always have to have some YouTube has to have, you know, their little ad running first. Bacanti. So it's Bacanti. Okay. Like Bacanti sauce. Or like Chianti. Oh, she says Bacanti or Bacant. I'm going to say say it however you want. The Stark. The Stark. The Stark Market. The Stark Market. Ding. Where's the bell? The stock market crash. What's crack. the bell for? It's the stock market bell. When they open trading. Doesn't it go ding, 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 ding? Well, did you want me to go ding, 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 ding? <laughs> I didn't really want you to go ding, but. <laughs> Whatever. Moving if you're on. You've got to imitate it, Kelly. you got to do it right. <laughs> Good the one that is a long piece of metal above the rectangular locks. The regular it- locks. I don't know how you get rectangular <laughs> out of regular, but okay. Uh, sorry. This is a town outside of Miami and was developed by George Merrick, who had inherited cir- Circus Groves. He inherited Circus Groves? <laughs> what in the world do they do with those groves? <laughs> Look, it's a clown, Mom, right next to the oranges. <laughs> All right. The hotel. The hotel. The hotel. 